welcome to the Nerd Party. and Space, the Nerd Party's dedicated Doctor Who podcast. I'm Jessica Nunn. And I'm her husband and co-host, Philip Gilfus. It's been a busy week for us, mm. but uh, for today's topic, we sort of have a, a smorgasbord or a grab bag, if you will, of topics. A tapas of topics, if you will, I yes. think, is what this is. So we've indulged in some Doctor Who across various media. Yes. Using the proper plural of that. So uh, we're going to be talking oh, okay, about yeah, yeah, huh? about some various things. So first, uh, we're going to talk about a big finished production we listened. We, uh, I suppose the story behind that is we had tickets to a concert. <laughs> in uh, Raleigh, which is uh, the capital city here in North Carolina. About, about an hour away from us. Right. And, of course, it was... Uh, a little storming. It was supposed to be like the only storm of the week. And so, uh, but still, we, we're going to brave it and see what happens. And But it turned into like torrential storm. And we ended up actually getting to the venue eventually. Eventually. Like an hour after the concert was supposed to start. And we after, because traffic was dreadful. Power was out in places. We ran out of gas. Had to go to a gas station. The power was out at that gas station. We, we had, had to go to another, another gas, gas station. station. It, was, it was an adventure. Yep. And so we sort of called it quits after a while. And, of course, right when we decided to leave is when the gates opened. But we we had had enough at that point. We were done. We so were we done. found a place to eat. And, and they home. had a noise ordinance, so they were going to have to finish. There was no way we were going to say. Our concert or something. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It tur- turned out just not to. But we went to Raleigh, so there's there that. Check. Check. We're adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> we do things. <laughs> But during the trip there and back, we did listen to a big finished production we'll be talking about. And it's going to be another in our The Eighth Doctor and Charlie Adventures. And this was the episode Invaders from Mars. And would you like to list, uh, read the synopsis, Jessica? Yes, I may be sometime. It's a long synopsis. Halloween, 1938. <laughs> a month after a mysterious meteorite lit up the skies of New York State, Martian invaders laid waste to the nation. At least, according to soon-to-be infamous Orson Welles, they did. But what if some of the panicked listeners to the legendary The War of the Worlds broadcast weren't just imagining things? Attempting to deliver Charlie to her rendezvous in Singapore, 1930, the 8th Doctor overshoots a little, arriving in Manhattan just in time to find a dead private detective. Indulging his gumshoe fantasies, the doctor is soon embroiled in the hunt for a missing Russian scientist, while Charlie finds herself at the mercy of a various, very dubious fifth columnist. With some genuinely out-of-the-world merchandise at stake, the TARDIS crew are forced into an alliance with a sultry dame called Glory B, Orson Welles himself, and a mobster with half a nose known as the Phantom. 
and slowly and surely something is drawing plans against them, just not very good ones. And this was written by, of course, who else? Mark Gaddis, who writes all things, um, knew who. And this was released January of 2002. Um, briefly, just because, you know, why not talk about us instead? Um, <laughs> the sort of the the conceit of this uh, episode is the world of the worlds, of course. The mm-hmm. radio the broadcast. broadcast, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, I guess starred, I could say, starred in a production of The War of the Worlds. You played Orson Welles. Yes, and so it was very interesting to listen to this story because, um, I, you know, like most actors, I flush the lines as soon as the curtain falls. But I certainly remember the sequences because it was a heavy part. Um, it was a very heavy part in a good way. It was fun, but there was a lot to do. And so I, there's a lot of the parts I could remember where they were, you know, when I was listening to this episode, I'm like, yep, that's from the show. That's literally from the World of Worlds show. So, And boy, this is going to be a long section. <laughs> Belt up. Yes. Yes. There was one portion that I actually literally had to read on stage because it was just, there's no way I'm memorizing straight text because um, it was a radio show. But when you're doing it on stage, you know, there's had to play it a little bit. So Yes. Yes. But anyway, so that was, that was interesting. And just for the record... Not only were you the star, but you were by far the best performer in that particular production. Well, thank you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the word particular was the... Yes, yeah. That was where it... Yeah, yeah that's I, where I, I went I, wrong. I got Sorry. where the modifier was. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> now, so that's the War of the Worlds element, though, um, and we'll talk... I don't know, we'll talk about this in a second. I, I thought it was more parallel than part of the plot. And so yes, I felt like at it, the end, it's like, oh, this was a part of it. I'm like, was it? Yeah. It doesn't come together with that particular plot until towards the very end. And I think it would have been much more fun to have the Doctor and Orson Welles in the same room together on a long term. That would have been fun. Because I thought the conceit, so we'll go to the actual story here, but I thought the conceit, you know, sort of when you see the cover, you, you think the premise that... What it is is like, oh, War of the Worlds was actually showing something that was really, really happening, but, you know, we... The had government pretend- covered a unit, covered yeah, it up or, or something. Or something. Yeah. Um, but it's like, no, no, it still was a fake broadcast, or a fictional, I won't say fake. It was a fictional broadcast, as, was always, as it always was. And then it's like... But there also happened to be aliens in New York at the time, so it worked out well. Yeah, and then, because at the end... And, you know, we're, we're spoiling away here. But I, I don't think it really spoils it because you still, you know, if you want to listen to it, I don't think you're going to miss anything. It ends happily ever after. If you did not know that, <laughs> saws. It's like, oh, quick, uh, let's, uh, uh, Orson, get all your actors and do the show again. And we'll fool people. And they try to fool uh, aliens for about five seconds. And then the aliens are like, oh, crap, the Martians are coming. And then they, the Doctor and Orson are still talking over the frequency of like, man, we sure fooled them. And then <laughs> and the, like, and the aliens are like, wait, wait a, a minute. minute. So it's sort of like, well, what was the point? Of, that was just, it just seemed forced. So, I don't know, I just feel like there's a better story there. But anyway, let's talk about the actual story, not the one we wanted. So, <laughs> big film noir element with yes. the Eighth Doctor taking on the persona of a private dick what'd you think of all that yeah 
I don't feel like I, I feel like there was a there were a lot of really interesting things happening, including the War of the Worlds, including the whole film noir thing, that none of it got its just desserts. Yeah, I mean, because I'm, I'm trying to think of the whole thing. And um, you could have put it all together in a way that worked. This wasn't it. And I love Mark Gaddis. I'm really sad to say this. Because <laughs> there, you know, there's sort of your stereotypical scene of like, oh, and then she walked in. And, you know, the woman, the, 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 the dame who gives you the case, you know, with the long legs and the whatever. And, and then, you know, so you have that scene, right? But from that... While the doctor does do sleuthing, it's not like film noir sleuthing, you know? There's no, no element. I mean, th- there's elements in the story. There's, you know, mobsters, there's informants, there's people getting beat up, there's policemen, there's all that. But the doctor's not really doing that yes. element. Yes. He, he, she comes in, she's like, I need you to find my uncle. Right. And he's like, okay. And then he finds her uncle and is like, here's your uncle. And she's like, no, I'm Russian spy. <clears throat> and all of this was made worse by the ridiculous accents from everybody. What you talking about, Jessica? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh God. I just, seriously, big finish. <laughs> Philip and I are here for you to help out with the American accents. Call us. <laughs> we can help. Yeah, it's, it's very stereotypical, like, oh, mobster New York, this is what we all talk about. Like, you know, I'm like, no. It no, was not that not, good. Actually. It was not as good as what you're doing. <laughs> it was not good. The accents were bad, and that. And, and because you know, and we have we have reviewed some big finish that had some bad American accents, but because this was set in America, so everybody except for Charlie and the Doctor had American accents. It was all encompassing bad accents. Yeah, the, the guy doing Orson Welles, I could tell he was trying to do Orson Welles, and that's you know, I guess as much as you can ask for. Of course, the thing in my head, uh, growing up during my time period of where I grew up, um, I, you know, I've heard Orson Welles, and of course I really heard it because when I was trying to do the, getting ready for that part in World of the Worlds, but what of course I know the voice from, or at least the stereotypical voice, is from, of course, Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, <laughs> because the brain is supposed to have that Orson Welles voice, and so that's, that's to me, that's an Orson Welles voice. So. I don't think I knew that. Yes. <laughs> So if you ever think about the brain, that's supposed to be an Orson Welles voice. Oh, that's fantastic. So, yeah. So that was the voice they did. Um, All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What would you sort of think of? We had aliens, Russians, fifth column. One thing, well, two things that stood out in my mind. One is the 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 the, uh, the dialogue rating. You know, the following uh, big finish is rated L for language because um, they, they dropped a few things. I'm like, okay, that's not usually what I expect from a big finish. I mean, I, I know British culture is different about what's, but there were there were some GDs, and then they were like, oh, but yeah, in British culture, that's not a problem. And then the F word, I was like, and, not, and I'm not talking the four letter word. I'm talking about the other F word. This is Pride Month. Oh right, yeah. Yes. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. you're you mine. okay. Uh, so, I mean, whatever, I guess, but it's not really trying to be period, and you know. It's Mark Gaddis, so 
he's got a little more leeway to chuck that word hither and yon. But yeah, it, it felt a little bit gratuitous in that sense. And also that the uh, the villain, spoilers, the villain is um, a... Oh, what? Truman Capote. He was a Truman Capote. Yeah. Truman Capote is the villain in this piece. And I mean, I guess that's what they were going for. If not, that's what I got from it, even if they weren't going for that. Um, so you have this sort of, you know, I mean, whatever, I guess I'll just say it. Obviously, sort of gay uh, villain, which, fine, whatever. Nothing wrong with having a gay villain. Um, but it just seemed really weird the way they used it to me. Yeah. Just seemed weird to me. Yeah. There was a lot of weird in this one. Yeah. And again, I think the premise is really interesting. I think there was a lot that can be done. It just... And it would have been interesting to hear it with proper American accents to see if that completely flipped my my brain cells over to it. It was just... Yeah. It's not my favorite. That's what I'm going with. Yeah, and you had, I mean, I can almost picture sort of the uh, classic Who Doctor outfits being used for the aliens. Um, they're ones coming from the breeding whatever UFO. Oh, yeah. 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 And then the other ones that talks like this. Oh, we're going to get you. We're aliens. And I was like, oh, that's a choice. That is a choice. Yeah. Um, it was a lot. Yeah, it, was it was a lot. lot. It was a lot. So, you know, I was... We feel kind of bad because the past couple eight the doctor we, we we enjoy but the past couple ones we've been a little disappointed in so yeah hopefully the chimes at midnight which is up next will will lift us back up to where we used to be hooray yeah fingers crossed fingers crossed because i am really interested in the charlie story mm-hmm. and you know this this singapore and all of those sorts of things getting her back or whatever they're trying to do and she's dead but not dead yeah yeah, there's a lot of interesting things I want to know more about, and I'm not feeling like I'm getting that right. yet. So, right. according to TARDIS.Wikia, this uh, episode, serial, whatever you want to call it, marks the beginning of the second se- season or series of The Eighth Doctor. So oh, okay. Just put that in your head for whatever it's worth. Okay. So. Done. Awesome. Well, our next episode um, goes to the TV. Okay. And that is with the third Doctor, which we, you know, so we're listening to the eighth Doctor in order, kind of our thing we're doing. We're also watching the third Doctor in order. And so what serial we watched of his lately was Colony in Space. Mm-hmm. And you want to do the synopsis for that? Yes, which please. Which I know there's an alien planet, so have fun with that. The Time Lords discover that the Master has stolen their secret file on the Doomsday Weapon. They grant the Doctor a temporary reprieve from his exile on Earth to deal with the crisis. He and Joe arrive on the planet Exarius and become enmeshed in a struggle between the agrarian colony and a powerful mining corporation. Which is always how the conflict goes. Always how the conflict goes, Which reminds me, we need to look up the mining operation website that's taking place here in our agrarian colony. (laughs) In our agrarian (laughs) colony. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we we, we live in a place called Snow Camp, and I keep saying, no Snow Camp mine. I'm like, I didn't know there was supposed to be a mine. So, anyway. Yeah. So uh, this kind of marks, for us and for the audience and for whatever, uh, the Third Doctor's kind of first voyage in time and space in the TARDIS. Yeah, I mean, he went up to space 
couple of stories ago. Yeah, but uh, not in the TARDIS. That yes. was in a regular old yeah. airplane. It, no, not, <laughs> no, a, I know. not an airplane. <laughs> no. Rocket ship? It'd be a crazy airplane. Not a regular <laughs> airplane that did that. Um, but yeah, so this is the first time we actually get the TARDIS TARDISing with the third Doctor. Yep. And Joe visits her first alien planet. She doesn't believe it's real. Right. Yeah, would you sort of think of Joe having her first adventure? Yeah, I liked the fact that she was sort of like, nah, nah, that's not a thing. And then it is, and oh, okay, and she sort of takes it in stride and is like, the doctor will fix it. I, I do like that uh, she thought, thought he's been lying the whole time. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yes, time and safe space, surely, doctor. Yeah. Yes. Um, but uh, we get the Time Lords, you know, they always show up yep. to cause trouble. Yeah. Now, they've, they've actually been causing the Third Doctor a lot of trouble. Now, of course, there's the whole trouble they caused them, actually, of being stranded on Earth. But yeah. that was sort of the second Doctor. Um, but he, they've shown up on, on rather regular occasion. Um, I'm trying to remember. I forget which episode it was, or serial it was, where there's, like, the tiny Time Lord. And he's like, oh, did I get the, get the show? Tiny Time Lord. I think that's when the Master first showed up. Because they were like, oh, by the way, the Master's here. Have fun with that. Yeah, off you pop. Yeah, and then, of course, the Master shows up here. But anyway. Yeah, he does. So, But I thought it was sort of interesting that the Time Lords sort of let the Doctor go. Which makes me wonder behind the scenes. Again, because it's our first time watching. I don't know what um, you know what, what's coming up next. Uh, whether the behind the scenes are like, oh, maybe we need to go back to time and spacing. And somebody else was <laughs> like, but do we have the budget for it? <laughs> I did think it was funny because I'd remarked upon this that the TARDIS materialization and dematerialization in this serial, instead of sort of doing your usual stereotypical, whoosh, 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 whoosh. yeah, it just goes bloop. I mean, it doesn't actually go bloop, but it disappears. And so I, I, I jokingly said, "There's no this, uh, not the blinking, the fading. Yeah, yeah. it just is there, and then it's not there." Um, I jokingly said, "Oh, they probably forgot how to do that." I looked it up. The guy didn't know what it was supposed to look like. <laughs> They've forgotten how to do that. Yes. Good times. Yep. So that's, that's... That's very funny. That's funny. Yeah. So before we get to the master, just before that part, you know, Doctor arrives, they're this colony, you know, uh, obviously very be- believable large lizards um, attacking people, and, you know, what did you sort of think of the story up to that point? Yeah, I Before actually, the Inquisitor or whatever his name was comes. Yeah, I liked this. It's a fantastic man versus man conflict, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Um, You know, the people had come to this planet because Earth, they were from Earth. Yeah. Uh, Earth was being destroyed. So they had colonized this space. They were struggling to make it work. And then this powerful corporation comes in and it's, you know, corporation versus the little guy. I really liked that as a conflict. Yeah. I wish they hadn't brought the Doctor into it. (laughs) Or not the Doctor, the Master. The Master, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that was superfluous. Yeah, I'll admit, you know, this is my complaint as we go later into uh, Fifth Doctor, is that, man, that Master's in a lot of stories. Um, And, you know, it just takes the focus away Um, between the... Potential villains or the potential companions or whatever. Yeah. So it's like the master, we sort of stop because we have to do the master. Yeah, and it just felt unnecessary because they're bringing in this adjudicator who is supposed to decide whether the colonists can stay or they have to leave and go God knows where because the mining company has the rights to drill and destroy that planet. 
And all of those are, are real stories and interesting stories and having the doctor help with that and having people pretending to be a monster to get the upper hand and all of those things are really, really good. So then to have the adjudicator come in and it's actually the master pretending to be an adjudicator, unnecessary? Yeah, because, you know, because then if you had the adjudicator either be, you know, you could go a bunch of ways. He's either like the representative of Earth, so he could be like the bad moral or whatever of the group. Um, or maybe, he could be an alien. Right. He, you know, there's a lot of ways you can go instead of just being like, oh, it's the master, so he's going to lie. And, and so now all. that's the focus yeah. that, that we've got to. And once again, the doctor and the master sort of work together on things right. and then sort of don't. And it just, yeah, meh. Yeah, and, and you know, this is the, not that there's that many, but this is the penultimate serial to this season, series. Mm. Um, which, you know, now that I think about it, of course, it's just a master series, first episode. Was the master with the scary dolls, um, and then scary just dolls. subsequently has been the master popping up every other two seconds. Yeah, you know, looking for the master. Anyway, yeah, it's a little bit overkill. A little bit overkill. So I mean, I, I get yeah. Delgado got a season, so you know, I'm glad he gets to work. But um, <laughs> from a story standpoint, like I said, it sort of sucks it away um, because because I don't know if it adds necessarily anything to it. I, right. Not necessarily, it's not like we're building per se the doctor master. Dynamic, yeah, dynamic. I'll say rivalry, maybe not even that, but you know, it's other than it's just like, oh, you know, it's that same villain that we had. Here's the master again, you know. know, So, again, we talked about sort of that stereotypical story, which is good. I mean, it's not bad for a reason. We had the primitives, (laughs) I wish they had called them something else. Um, I mean, because you know, are they going for an indigenous people's story versus you know, the colonists, you know, you know, um. Which it seemed like they sort of were, but yeah. the the quote unquote primitives were very first of all diverse because you had the green mm-hmm. monsters and then you had the weird, um, a little bit Davros esque, right? The baby brains, the baby brains, and <clears throat> again. You know, the master was after some of their information, I think, as part of it. And it, it you could have done more than, than that. You mm-hmm. could have had an entire story working with the indigenous people of the planet versus the colonists versus the mining company. And then, you know, everybody's afraid of the quote-unquote primitives, but they're nice to them. And so then happy things happen and everybody learns to work together and, you know, nobody's wiped off the planet. Or that, I just feel like there were more things that could have been done, again, without even involving the master, because you have these three very different groups and people learn to work together in order to coexist Without the fracking, which I assume is what this is a metaphor for, <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's what I think. And, and you know, to me, especially in a classic story, which is longer and the pacing and blah, as we all know. Um, but you know, arguably, they can focus on different things. But here's my thing, and I'm like, <laughs> was the version we were watching just like edited or something? Because I mean, I guess it's obvious. And when I was reading the summary. Um, for recording here. I mean, it's obvious, I guess, but, like, the Time Lords sent the Doctor to intercept the Master from trying to use the Doomsday Weapon. But, but like, that's... 
is as much as, you know, maybe that's, you're just supposed to get that, which you can, you know, the Time Lords send them on a mission. It ends up, but like, I really, as much as classic who, this is sort of my complaint of like, look, if you're going to be classic who and keep going over points over and over again, why can't you go over that point once, you know? Yeah, because <laughs> the Doomsday Weapon was an incredibly minor plot point. I mean, I've, I felt like at least there should have been like one message in like episode six from the Time Lords being like, you know, or maybe they left a note for the Doctor of like, that's why we sent you, and now you are back to exile again. You know, you know. I, I mean, maybe I, they sent him flowers after. That's true, and we just uh, don't see that scene. That's true, but I, I mean, I know it's, I'm in a mature audience. I shouldn't need that bow tie, but I'm like, I don't know. I feel like you know, why not? You know, make yeah, it obvious. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, yeah, at the end of it, the brigadier's like, come back here right now. And, and boop. boop. <laughs> yeah, there's the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Um, and no time at all has passed mm-hmm. for the uh, brigadier. And Just like, should we tell him what went on? Oh, no, he won't understand. <laughs> credits roll. Credits, credits roll. roll. And that's the end. Yeah, there's no... You're right. There is no sort of tying up of... There's no denouement. Right. As, if you will, of, you know, these. this is... Yes, you've done a job well done, and we will keep this in consideration while you're still in exile, but perhaps that could change. Because mm-hmm. then you could have a little sort of back and forth of like, you know, I want to be let go, and they're like... You know, you let me go, and wasn't that, and I did good, but like, yes, we will only let you go, and yes, that's the problem with you. You'll only let me go do your missions, you know, or something like that. Yeah, there could have been a lot of interesting things. On your terms, so, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, and then there was a a baby brain puppet. Yeah, yeah, there absolutely was. That was weird. Reminded me a little bit of, uh, I don't get the name wrong, Randy from Pee Wee Herman. It was like sort of the bully uh puppet ventriloquist i mean it was sort of that size yeah he would come back yeah and Uh, it reminded me of the snl skit where Kristen wig (laughs) is the girl that's got the little tiny baby doll arms (laughs) because that's what that was it was a normal sized face and a baby doll body and it was creepy it was creepy yeah so yeah but what if you uh like i said there's one more serial left in this Series, and we'll be two series into the third Doctor. Whoop, whoop, we are moving at a breakneck speed. Mm-hmm. The next <laughs> one is the, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, because there's an A in it, but the demons? The demons? I don't know. I think mostly just demons, like Caesar. Right. Um, right. Well, I mean, I prefer ranch, though. Well, you didn't know you don't. That is a lie. Don't tell me that. And with that... <laughs> We will go into the TARDIS library. When you close your eyes. I go to the library. Go to the library now. Yes, where we are going to talk. Well, Philip is going to give us a book review, a book report, whatever. That's right. So I'll be talking about Who's There? The Life and Career of William Hartnell by Jessica Carney. Um, Jessica Carney is uh, William Hartnell's granddaughter, and she wrote this book originally in 1996, and I read sort of the updated, revised copy from 2013, and I will do the synopsis for this. My grandfather was a Time Lord. He arrived at the Fet wearing his Doctor Who costume in an open-topped vintage car. It wasn't quite the TARDIS. After all, you can never guarantee where the TARDIS was going to land, 
but it was spectacular enough for Pemberry, the village in Kent where my parents lived. William Hartnell took the leading role of Doctor Who towards the end of a long acting career that was as successful as it was varied. He played musical light comedy. He played a succession of mean, crooked, and bullying sergeant majors. I think he's going to sergeant's major, but anyway. He played a time-traveling eccentric. He appeared in more than 75 feature films in countless stage performances and in several television programs in addition to Doctor Who. Jessica Carney's closely researched biography of her grandfather includes stories from many of the hundreds of stars and screen with whom he worked, among them Richard Attenborough, Verdi Lambert, Bob Monkhouse, Caroline Ford, David Lampton, and Lindsay Anderson. So this is an interesting book. Uh, the way it was sort of or- organized um, is that Jessica first uh, put, um, and uh, it's not you, this is the author. Um, I, was, put, I was wondering. Right. Sort of this first portion of the book, which is not like a uh, an actual third, but just the beginning part, is sort of her recollections. You know, this is my recollections from, a, well, I mean, because I'm sure he died relatively when she was, I'd have to look it up, but teenager years, or at least early adulthood. And so it sort of talks about her recollections. And then the second part is kind of more of a traditional biography and kind of goes from there. And then there's this, at the end, there's sort of like, and he was in Doctor Who, here's the Doctor Who stuff. So that's like over in the blank. You're like, okay, well, that's, I feel like I was cheated here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I read this book for <laughs> Doctor Who. And so, but it, but it was interesting. I mean, I think the, I'll go ahead with the bad parts at the beginning, because usually you say that at the end. The bad part is that a lot of time, or there's a lot of portions of the book where it seems very much like a listicle, where it's like, these are the movies he was in. And then he was in this movie with this person. And then five months later, he's in this movie with this person and this person. This was the plot of the movie. And then five months later, he's in this movie. With the, I'm like, okay, I don't know these movies because I'm not British and wasn't born in, like, 1935. So, you know, I have, maybe these are famous to Britons, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Nor who these actors are. Nor, you know, so it's, like, meaningless to me. I mean, he worked a but lot. yeah, Richard Attenborough. Yeah. I mean, he worked a lot. He worked, William Hartnell worked a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Staged. I mean, stage predominantly, I because mean, I mean, he's he's an older fellow, so this is like thirties, forties, um, fifties, all the way leading up to sixties of Doctor Who. So, I mean, that's why the the list it just gets bogged down and boring because there are so many things. Um, but I think to me, the most interesting part was his past is a bit mysterious. He, because the the granddaughter is having to to put some of this together because apparently. He quite lied about his background. Fantastic. <laughs> um, or at least uh, exaggerated some of them. So, like, uh, according to her, uh, um, his father is unknown, even to him, possibly, you know. So he was born out of wedlock. <gasps> yes, I know. Um, which, of course, growing up during his time, 20s, I'm trying to I don't know when he was born. But anyway, you know, that's not a good thing in British society. I mean, you know, socially, to be a, a bastard. Um, you know, a what? going to my hamilton here um um, but uh you know and so that was sort of that but and he was actually quite the street urchin like he was like stealing stuff and beating people up and like he he was almost he was he was a newsie almost artful dodger right i mean yeah he was he was in this he was in the scrape of things i mean he uh was looking it up um but um and you know there were some, and didn't didn't really get along with his mom, and she was out doing her thing, um, so it wasn't really a close connection with the family. And sort of a theme in the, in the book is him looking for father figures, and like there's apparently a I don't think it was an actual stepdad, I don't know if they married or not, 
Um, but at least um, one of her his mom's boyfriends was a, a police officer who he really liked. Probably give him a little bit of order in his life. Um, but basically, he was just running amok for you know a long, long, amok, long time. Amok, amok. And then he has this weird thing where he almost becomes the ward of this artist painter and an artist collector. And like, I mean, he this guy was like so famous. He'd be going to museums, going like, "That's a fake. That's real. That's a fake. That's real." Like that was his one of his big jobs. And that so somehow he gets, you know, gets William under his wing or Billy, Billy under his wing, and uh, this is all very Roman. Yes, I know. This is this is. is, I'm telling you, it was very fascinating to read all this stuff um, about him eventually getting involved in the theater, and then sort of the story goes from there. You did not hear enough. The theater saved my life stories. Exactly. I think there should be more. I was going down a bad road. And then I discovered Future. Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Isn't that what all your teenagers say? <laughs> it is not, weirdly enough. Well, not Phantom, I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, now it's all about the Hamilton. <laughs> I was going down a bad road and Lin-Manuel Miranda saved me. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. His because uh, you know, watching last night a theater saved my life. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> Just fascinated by this concept. Carry on. <laughs> but uh, watching the the telemovie, um, an adventure in space and time. Mm. Uh, Bill Hartnell's wife pretty much just sort of plays the stereotypical grandmother role to me in that you know just older British lady but like whoa she was in her own right um another actress that's how they met they were on tour in Canada I forget doing what production are these Benedict Cumberbatch's parents <laughs> possibly I'm just kidding um I know they're not but <laughs> she is and I'd have to look it up but I she's wrote a play that picked up got picked up as a movie and so she is credited as the playwright of a movie I mean you know based on so yeah, I mean she was she, she would she would write plays. Yeah, I kind of want to Google that. Yeah, um, blanking on her name, of course, off the top of my head. Um, but anyway, but it was it was also interesting to hear because again, this is the granddaughter who's, who's writing this about like you know um, you know they were very much they had this whole romance, blah blah blah, got married, but then you know apparently Bill would still run around doing his things and be down <laughs> at pub and being his street urchin, betting the horses a lot. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it was interesting. It was very interesting. Of course, you know, time passes throughout the decades. But so, yeah, I would, <laughs> as it oftentimes does. So yeah, I would recommend it mostly. And, you know, sort of like a three point five. The good parts are good. The boring parts are boring to me. But I got it on Kindle. It wasn't that much, so I would certainly recommend it. So yeah, so pick that up on Kindle. And as far as the rest of it, uh, don't forget to like our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash the nerd party. And please leave a comment on this episode's post. Um, let us know your thoughts. We always enjoy uh, listening to and reading what people are saying. And you can follow us on the network Twitter at join nerd party and let us know our thoughts there. And we want to thank, as always, Wally and the Sononauts for providing us with their jazz cover of the Doctor Who theme tune. Which we hope you enjoy. Yes. So until next time, enjoy watching, listening, and reading about the Doctor's adventures throughout time Time and and space.
This is BBC Television.